Hey there, this is Emily. And this is Rosa. Welcome to the Unchecked Podcast. We are two women from two different countries who will talk about living life in their late 20s. Hey everyone, welcome back to our latest episode. Today we are going to talk all things language. So Rose and I are going to start off just discussing um, what it meant to be raised as multilingual, um, what it was like growing up, how do we interact with different people, um, seeing us for who we are and how we spoke. Then we're going to pivot a little bit to talk about personal experiences of the idea of linguistic elitism, which we're going to talk a little bit about later, and then end the idea of how linguistic racism can really show up either in the workplace, in school, and in different scenarios. Um, so I'm going to start. Uh, Rosa, not sure if you've had the same experiences, but knowing you also did grow up in the U.S., um, but... Uh, starting off when I was in kindergarten, I automatically, well, kindergarten, first grade, I automatically got uh, assigned into ESL, English as a Second Language class, even though they never really like had a test for it. They just saw uh, that I was Asian. They're like, great, take her into uh, ESL class, right? I mean, these were the 1990s, so maybe that was like normal for everyone. Andy, you speak English? I spoke English. I did. Maybe with a little bit of an accent. I'm not really sure because that's like a little bit blurry. I would say when I um, was at home, I spoke a combination of Cantonese English. So maybe when I started English, it was a little bit with an accent, but it wasn't like I couldn't speak the language, you know. Mm -hmm. So how about you, Rosa? For me, it was more like, well, since I moved to the U.S., I wasn't born there. I was in ESO classes when the first year that I got here, and then I was in gifted classes because, of course, it was it was good in a way because obviously I have had English in Peru, but obviously it's no it was nowhere as uh, fluid as it is now, and so it really helped me a lot and meet other people. But at the same time, I moved to Miami, so Spanglish is our national, well, not national, but, you know, like town language. So it was really easy to transition. I think uh, growing up, I spoke always two languages at the same time, back and forth. And it was very easy for me to just assume that everybody spoke Spanish and English. Like it was always my default. Actually, when I moved to New York, that was the first time that I realized like that it wasn't the same for everywhere else. I feel like moving from Lima to Miami wasn't a culture shock. Moving from Miami to New York was a culture shock, just to say. So yes, I first language was kind of like a big goal for me. Like when I first moved here, I needed to learn English to help my parents also translate and things. And so I feel that that was like my biggest input on my family, how much I knew English. Uh, My uncle always spoke English. So he was the member of my family in Miami that spoke. So I would always ask him questions and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, so I started from basically speaking Cantonese with my grandma and my parents as they were taking care of me. I didn't go to kindergarten or pre-K. Actually, I think I started at first grade. Um, And then when I started taking like obviously started learning English. That's when I became like, uh, was it Chinglish? <laughs> Talking Chinglish mm-hmm. to my parents. So they would speak to me in Cantonese and I would like say half Cantonese, half English. Um, and to your point, Rosa, very similarly, like I would do a lot of the translation 
for my parents sometimes, or especially it, they know basic English, but some deeper concepts they needed me to translate. And I think it's honestly so crazy how this is similar to all of my friends, especially in high school. Like we had to go through the college application process all on our own, right? Like all, all our own. Like my brother had was lucky he had me sign up for like AP credits, which is, I mean, just for classes in general, mm-hmm. apply to colleges, figure out financial aid, um, be able to apply for grants. Like you just have to figure this shit on your own because you got no parents like helping you out with that, right? In addition to all the other responses you have as like a multilingual, um, like first like first gen student. Um, so I think that's just insane the amount of responsibility that is put on just like teenagers at such a young age. Exactly. And you know, it shouldn't even be this way because here's my hot take, which I don't even think is a hot take, but what is the official language of the USA, Emily? Well, we, we know it, English. Not really, not officially. We do not have an official language. So technically, if, for example, in Miami, they should like give all of those packages for college in English and Spanish, yeah, yeah, right? Like, why should we not have those things like translated in Mandarin or translated in uh, Haitian Creole, for example, in Miami? Everything in Miami should be translated into English, Spanish, Haitian Creole right. because of the population. Right. Not, I mean, I live in France now. French people love their language for various reasons. I totally understand. but And I understand it's kind of like the soul of the country in a way. But we are not us in the new world, we're not like that. You know, we're not, we were colonized, right? If we were going to speak the native language of the people, it would be Navajo or depending on where you, what part of the U.S. you live. So I don't know. I don't understand how we are so attached to English when it's pretty much like the language of the colonizer, not ours. It doesn't really talk about our history, right? July 4th means something to us. That means Independence Day, right? So it shouldn't, it shouldn't be like, uh, oh my God, only speak English here. How people say when they hear you speak Spanish, right? Like I was so shocked about all those things that I saw coming, especially after uh, the pandemic, especially with Asians in uh, New York, how they were being targeted. And one of the things was because of the language. And it's just like, but dude. <laughs> yeah, it's it's insane. I mean, just a few points that you, that you just mentioned, especially the, the school thing. I mean, New York City is a little bit different, right? Like, luckily, like a lot of public schools offer, offer translating services, especially when it comes to financial aid and applications that they put in like the guidance council rooms and the main office. So like, luckily, there is a lot of that offering and available. And I think a lot of like after school programs are making sure that is a priority, especially when, when working with families. Um, I don't. I can't speak on behalf of other states across the country whether that, that, that is a thing, but I'm assuming no, based on Rosie's experiences. Number two, yeah. Uh, well, obviously anti-Asian hate, unfortunately, is still a thing, but it's just crazy. Like I remember back in college, um, I was one of my work study jobs was to uh, be a receptionist at the Asian American Center, right? Asian American Center. And I remember one time this old, don't want to typecast, but old white man <laughs> walked into the Asian American Center and he was just asking for directions. This is in Boston, by the way, um, which surprisingly has a lot of racism, especially if you're not like in Boston proper. And he, I gave him the directions, you know, plain English, whatever, just me talking. And at the end, he had to add the extra point of like, wow, your English is perfect. <laughs> and then so I was, I like obviously was in shock, uh, honestly, in New York, because I was surrounded by so much diversity. I've never had this said to me. 
So all I said was like, yeah, I, I grew up here. I mean, I speak English. That's my first language. And then he's like, oh, that's wonderful. And then he like walked away and left. But in my head, I'm like, the audacity of this man. Like, I just don't get it. Bro, like once we in our sorority in Kappa here, full shame. Shame on all of you people. Nice kidding. But some of you are so racist. But anyway, we were in a tea with like all the other Kappa sisters. And some of them were like really far in the years, you know, they probably like really like they were they lived to Jim Crow, you know. Like, you know, we're in Florida, so. And one of them, like, Christine and Catherine, our friends, were having a a conversation. And she turned around and she was like, wow, your English is amazing. Welcome to our country. And I literally, like, looked at her and I started laughing at her face. And I didn't know what else to say because it's like, okay. Wait, sorry. How like, old was this lady? Like, old. Like, old. Okay. Like, 80. Okay, okay, okay. But it was just so funny to me because it's just like you assume because of the way that someone looks that they speak a certain language. I mean, to be honest, like in Miami, that happens to my I have a lot of friends that are Cuban American that have like our second, third generation, you know, and they don't speak Spanish that well or at all. And then people assume that they speak Spanish. So they will be like in Spanish and they will be like, yo no hablo, you know, like really bad. (laughs) So I get it. But I mean, I think. Nobody should assume, like, what language you speak, especially in this world that we live well, in. Sh- also, like, welcome to America. Yeah, that was very, like... How niche. did uh, Catherine respond to that? I don't I don't even remember. It was just, like, I feel like my bro- brain froze. But it wasn't, like, the first time that, like, my sorority did some, you know, like, very, like, high-key racist shit like you know so i was just at that time i was like already like okay well this is how it is here yeah that's insane i mean we that that could like transition to the idea of like link the linguistic elitism right and it doesn't necessarily have to be english like for instance like in hong kong if you don't speak like proper cantonese unfortunately a lot of hong kong people assume they're from mainland right and uh, hong kong people have a certain perception of folks that are from mainland so it it, it kind of really goes across different types of categories not only english i say that oh trust me i know i say that to say like ha- do you have any experiences you know outside what we just talked about of like linguistic elitism in action um whether it's to you or to your friends or to people you know well i can say that first off a lot of people do not like i would say from the jump off a lot of americans do not want to learn another language uh they do not want to learn like for example spanish or any other language because they think what is the point if they already speak english And it's really interesting because, like, everywhere else in the world, people are dying to speak other languages. Like, even in France, even though, you know, English is very powerful, France is still a very important language. Like, if you know anything about anything, uh, most of, like, diplomatic conversations are done in English and or in French. France has a lot of influence in the world, point. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying France was perfect, you know, it's also like a colonial power, but it's still a powerful like language and they still try to learn English. You go to any Scandinavian country, they speak English too. Like most most countries in Europe, I can see that they speak, they try to speak English and other language. And don't let me get started. Like, I don't like want to say Africa because it's a huge continent. There's a lot of different things going on 
there, but like most most people that I know from Ghana that I have met here or Cameroon, they of the get go as they were born speak like three different languages, you know, uh, French or um, I have friends that speak French and uh, local dialect and another language. Like it's just like most people speak multiple languages because that's the very global world that we live in. So I feel like us in the U.S., that's kind of like we think that we're so much better because we speak English and we make most of the com- content in English. And I think I'm going to like segue a little bit hard here. But now that we are kind of falling down and our imperial 200 years are over and we're going to the, the decline of our, you know, reign, we have to like branch out. Like before, all of the content that most people made, like every time I used to like say that I was from the US or uh, in France, people used to be like, oh, I watch Friends or something. Nobody says that anymore. France is over. Nobody cares about the office, you know? Now it's all about like Korean dramas and stuff like that. Like our choco of like our pop being the norm in the world is over. Right. And so I think that that's why we were so elitist before, because everything came for mm-hmm. us and people had to learn English to like learn different things. But now they don't have to. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Like that idea of like the power of media to be able to now show media and amazing content from other countries. I'm just thinking more about why do we perceive English as a superior language and how does that really unconsciously show up in our day to day? Yeah. And I, I'm just trying to work through the psyche of that. Right. I've been living in France for so long, like almost five years now, that I'm used to listening to English with an accent now, a French accent or whatever, because I work in SAP. So I work with a lot of Germans too, Indians, people from all over the world. Mm -hmm. So I'm used to an accent. I mean, let's say everybody has an accent. Let's start with that. Like, even if you're from the US, maybe you're from the South and the Midwest. So depending on where you are, you have a different accent. Mm -hmm. So... Even in the U.S., there's some people that I really cannot understand. To me, like, for example, with Joslan, he speaks to me in French and I speak to me to him in English. So that's how we get our points across. I think he's, it comes with the territory of trying to understand people. I mean, look, I grew, my family all speaks different languages, so I have always struggled to understand. And I think that's where my empathy comes because I, I think I speak a lot of languages, but none of them well. <laughs> you know it's just okay. a little bit of yeah, I dabble I dabble everywhere you know but not fully yeah. anywhere else like you know so to me uh I work in you know in tech and a lot of times we have to like really crispily understand what these people want and a lot of the times I just switch to Spanish and you know I love it to be for people to be like so excited that I can't understand it you know And I would tell them, like, you can speak to me in Spanish. Sometimes I will speak to you in English because that's the easiest way for me to get my point across. But I understand Spanish fully. So I think it's like trying to meet halfway with some people. Right, right. Sorry, this also brought up to another point as well. I think it's so interesting, not only the language, but how we tell stories or how we communicate. Mm -hmm. Because it's a very American thing to be like, straightforward one two three what is this what is that but a lot of cultures are based on storytelling right like i'm gonna tell you the breadth of what has happened to get to a point and that might take a little bit longer right but because in the american culture especially corporate culture we've raised to do like a few words to form a sentence or just say like everything in a really quick manner we kind of lose a lot of that but that is 
it's hard when, especially when you're growing up, you're so used to storytelling as a core aspect, and you have to like transition to this crazy world where you need to communicate in two seconds, or else like you're let go. That's exactly how my mom and I like communicate. Sometimes I do get it like enervated, like annoying at her because she's just like goes in circles to my taste. But at the end of the day, it's like I call her once a week for an hour, and she wants to tell me a story. Is that such a crime? You know what I mean? Right. Like, I I do think that, like, the way that we English and another hot take, I think Eng- American English is very tied to capitalism in a way that we have everything in sound bites, you know? And like you said, everything is like a couple words, a slogan, you know? Mm-hmm. Even, like, the way that we talk to each other, internet talk. We have kind of dumbed down things to ways that, I mean, they're easy to be consumed, but they're not really enjoyable. They're not really aesthetically pleasing. I feel like in France, things are much different and language is more celebrated. Uh, but here is more like in the US is more like just to get from one place to the other kind of thing. So I, I do want to transition a little bit to the idea of uh, linguistic racism, which we touched a little bit upon. Um, so I'm going to reference this BBC article, um, and I would love Ro- like Rosa to react to it, and then we can talk through it. Um, but the idea of linguistic racism is racism based on accent, dialect, and or speech patterns. Um, so there was this study that was held by an HR consultancy in New York, um, and they looked at allegations of accent discrimination at a nonprofit organization. So it's a global NP organization. Um, one of the staff members, he he had an accent. Um, and because of his accent, his colleagues or his coworkers would interrupt him. They would talk about how unintelligible his English is and even go to the point of excluding them from meetings, right? Um, and then there was also a lot of research that found that, you know, um, employees of color are being treated differently. You know, they're sometimes spoken to disrespectfully um, and their accent can lead folks to believe that they're not competent to hold the positions that they that they hold. Um, and uh, one additional layer to that, right, how we speak English is also uh, interesting. It, basically, um, there's a status attached to English that comes from countries that are wealthy, white, and mostly monolingual, right? However, uh, other multilingual countries like Nigeria, Singapore have less legitimate and desirable forms of English, even though English is still spoken, right? And so those, those different perceptions of you would see how people speak English based on the nationality or race, again, something we talked about, rather than they're actual, like they're actually communicating. So two different people speaking different types of accent to English can be saying the same thing, but we might perceive a higher superiority of one over the other based on where they're at. How do you like react to that, Rosa? Like anything that I just said resonate with you? I mean, I think even with ourselves, like, uh, I don't know, like, especially in Miami, everybody has a different level of like what's so-called Spanish accent. And what really annoys me sometimes is that even within ourselves, we make fun of people that have a stronger accent than we do. So there's people that even though they have an accent, they still make fun of others that also have an accent. So it's just like, the circle never ends. Do you think it's more of like when they feel that way, it's kind of an insecurity projected onto themselves? Yeah, definitely. I think it's also a way a lot of people like push down, right? So I feel like it's a way to, especially in 
competitive places like a workplace is easier to like for example in tech there's a lot of people especially in like for example where i used to work before like in Citibank, i didn't see it as much but in some other places i've heard of it where people are like oh i don't work with so-and-so because i can't even understand his english you know like for example i don't work from this person in bangalore because i can't understand what he's talking to me about in a way it's kind of like diminishing them right even though probably they're really good at their job. But I don't know why people hear that and they don't think, oh, that's racist or, oh, that's that's messed up. They just think like, well, if you can't understand them, you know, but it is a, it's a microaggression because you can always like type or write an email, which will be better, you know, for me, it's always like write an email. And to me, what's also interesting about like, the whole language discrimination is that sometimes there's such thing as linguistic hallucinations. Mm. So I read this from the Nevada today um, and they're saying that 25% of Americans who identify as an ethnic majority have been victim of linguistic bias, even if they speak standard English without an accent. Uh, for example, there's this person, uh, Chris Cooper, who was a bird watcher in Central Park. He was uh, falsely accused of training a white dog walker. I think the video went viral. I don't know if you yeah, remember. I saw that video, yeah. Uh, and he's because he was black, right? And the craziest thing is that some people uh, hallucinated that he had an accent just because of his face, oh, but wow. he didn't. Like, you could actually, like, listen to him in the video, and he doesn't have an accent. It's just of the way that he looks. People just put an accent on him so sometimes like That's just insane. because there's some people that are so racist <laughs> that they just look at you and even if you speak like perfect english they just assume that you have an accent because of the way that you look that is crazy wow i've never i never heard of that term so that's really interesting linguistic hallucination so isn't that crazy that people actually just project an accent on you so even if you speak perfectly they just assume that because of the way that you look you have a bigger like you have an accent or you have a thicker accent than it actually is. And, you know, like we have different types of self, you know, the person that we actually are, the person that others perceive us. So the crazy thing is that a lot of things are in video now. So there's more of a proof now that he didn't have an accent. Rosa, we could just never, we just never win. We could just never win. That's why we have to burn everything down. I mean, I do think things are getting better, right? Um, I just like just to segue into like what the future of language will be in the US. I think that now there's like a bigger number of people that speak multiple languages at home and the number just keeps increasing probably because of uh just like the making of America <laughs> how the minorities are becoming a mi minor majority. Uh, I mean, for example, the two of us grew up speaking multiple languages. I think that's more of a default now. I actually, like, at the top of my head, I cannot think of any of my close friends that do not already speak multiple languages. Um, so I feel like it's changing slowly, but surely. But I think, um, in a way, what something that has made a change, and I brought it up before, is the Korean boom that happened in the U.S. with BTS and um, Squid Game and all these different cultural things and people are being forced to read subtitles. 
right? So more and more we're being forced out of our comfort zone. And honestly, I was so surprised how famous Squid Game was in the US. I could have never thought that was going to happen. Like Parasite won because it was amazing, but it was something more that a lot of like people that are film snobs like me watch. And then are like, oh, you haven't watched it? Oh my God. And then later, you know, someone, most Americans will watch it uh, in English, you know, like later on when it's dubbed or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Squid Game, people were watching it as it was like without translations, like as, well, obviously with the subtitles, but without the dub, you know, right. I was surprised of how fast, like how fast the crime of popularity was for the show and how big it got. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it obviously is the, the beautiful nature of the storytelling and how they, how they posted the sets and the way they told their story. I mean, a lot of it's also the idea of the how how fucked up capitalism of it it's just Pretty such much. a representation of our times i think that's why it's resonated um but yeah who the hell the hell watches it in dub you'd be surprised <laughs> like i don't what i this is just a really tangent and then we'll go back to it it's just like when you watch it in dub it just takes away from how the actors themselves are sharing their story or or telling I don't know. It's just like you can feel the the motion in the way they speak, and to have a dub is just, and then you know, it's just it doesn't translate as well. Um, so I've always thought that really fascinating why people watch dubs. You know, it's interesting because in Peru we have a thing that we I still like. You can watch like I have watched Korean dramas and Japanese dramas, mostly Japanese actually, in Peruvian actual national television because we have like a partnership with them, and so most of them are dub right but what they do is like they dub it with the same actress so in every single drama you hear the same voice i am excited for what language is like what the future of language is gonna be in the u.s i feel like more and more people are traveling um like before i remember at least me like i'm 31 now so most of my friends started traveling like outside of the u.s uh older right like not older like you know like early, mid-20s late 20s like you know 22 21 maybe but like just to the caribbean and stuff so i feel like gen c is like ow i'm out i'm an abu dhabi baby like you know like so i think that to travel more is also a good sign that you're also are more open to learning new languages mm-hmm. so I don't know. What do you think? Uh, do you, you want to have kids, right, Emily? Yes, I do want to have kids. I think I agree with you, but at the same time, also worried. Um, so, well, what, one is, you know, if my kids even decide to stay in America by the time they're of age in America, depending on the situation. Number two, I actually think it's the opposite, it's particularly for like first gen uh, people like like me. I am so scared, particularly in like Cantonese my language dying as I pass it off to my students. So I have, as a parent, need to make intentional effort to make sure like my kids go to Cantonese or Chinese school, right? They And they won't be, lear- unfortunately, learning the language from me, right? They, they might be able to la- la- learn it from my grandparents as I did with my grandma. But I, mm-hmm. like they, I grew up watching Chinese dramas as well. So it was a lot of like talking to my grandma and watching a lot of Cantonese dramas. But when my kids grew up, they're going to be second gen. I'm pretty sure they're going to be speaking English like 90% of the time. And then hopefully like learn some Cantonese. But I'm so worried 
that you need to send them to the motherland like my mom would send me in the summers to have cold showers so I can like be more grateful that she pays electricity. <laughs> Rose, I don't know if you have any like second gen friends, but like a lot of them like they're slowly losing their Chinese culture. So you just have to make a really intentional effort like as a parent to keep that living for your kids. It's, I mean, it even gets complicated, especially if you marry someone that also speaks a different language that you have to be like, okay, like what language do we speak in the household? Do we try to do two, both, right? I think I was going to say like, like when you're biracial, there's also like a, a bigger thing because then you don't exactly. know like which language to speak. Like for example, I have, I have, I know friends in California who are like fifth generation. Great, great. I mean, incredible. And they still speak Mandarin really well because it's something like they have kept to their community and it's something that they really find a lot of uh, proud in. And like, it's kind of like in Peru too, that to raise a child, it takes a village. So it's not only up to you, it's also about up to like the whole family to like push you to continue to like learn the language. I think my biggest thing is like, one, a lot of my friends in the, in the US, in Miami that don't speak Spanish because maybe one of their parents was white so they just it was just one parent at home speaking the language and so they didn't have anyone to speak with and so they never heard spanish and also another problem is that a lot of the times like your family wants to assimilate so much that they don't want to teach you the other language so then you grow up like a banana right or like a coconut right. like in our case in miami and like you really do not know your language at the same time like nothing i don't blame them but it happens and that's why a lot of people lose their their language mm -hmm. yeah my cousins don't know like my cousins grew up in like virginia right spoke up and then my aunts um which are they were they're younger than my mom um and they're, they're twins my aunts are twins um and they only spoke english right and so my cousin doesn't know how to talk to my grandma you know when my grandma's still alive so it's just one of those things where like I don't want that to have to my kids. So got to bring them in Chinese school. <laughs> Bro, got to send them to Hong Kong. Like, you know, every know. every every three years, just go oh, somewhere with a tia and like learn. I mean, yeah. it's so important. And I think that you're going to, they're going to thank you because a lot of my yeah. friends that do not speak the language, they were like, oh, I used to complain. I used to, you know, I used to not want to. And then now I regret it. And I blame my parents for not teaching me because right. it's so important. It, yeah, it's gonna be hard. Well, we'll have to see because I that means I also have to intentionally in the household be able to speak Cantonese or like figure out how to incorporate into like my daily language, which I don't do now, obviously, like living it by myself or with my friends, we all just speak English. Yeah. So, but I mean, you will find a way. I mean, I've seen like friends who's like brothers and sisters are having kids and they have made it like a life less, like you know, like get an opera, you know. Mm. like or bring someone from your family to stay with you for a couple months like it literally for having someone that doesn't immersion. yeah yeah someone that doesn't speak english in your household and you're forced to speak to that person in that other language it helps so much because like for example my brother and i we don't speak english we don't speak spanish to each other we speak english like if i didn't have like if i didn't call my mom as often as i do or my family from peru i wouldn't speak spanish at all Cause I just speak right. French and English right now. Yeah. Oh my God. My mom would love to live with me forever. So. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Free babysitter. Yeah. I mean, so that really wraps up our episode. Yeah. My Rosa was just talking about uh, my multilingual babies, <laughs> which would be amazing. That is the dream goal. Uh, but yeah, we'd love to hear from you guys. Like, 
what was it like growing multi being multilingual and just like seeing all the things we talked about, all the new concepts we talked about uh, show up in your day to day life. But anything else, Rosa, that we wanna you wanna say before we wrap up? Thank you for listening and stay tuned to the next episode. Okay, see you everyone. Have a great night. Bye. Bye.